You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Breaking the rule, though, I'm going to preach just from a portion of Numbers 21, which, gasp, wasn't in your reading plan. But the reason I want to use Numbers 21 is because it's going to give us context to a chapter of the Bible that even if you don't know Jesus, you seem to know. It seems like everybody in the world is familiar with John 3.16. Kind of goes like this. In whatever translation that you have, there's different fours and whosoever and begotten, like it just, just depends on what you heard. But something to the tune of this, John 3.16, not Austin 3.16 like the rest of them, but John 3.16. For God, or God so loved the world that he sent his only son, or only begotten son, that whoever or whosoever believes or believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so we know that verse. It's like, yeah, John 3.16, like that's the one you hear all the time. But it comes in a paragraph or a story of scripture, John chapter three, where Jesus is talking with a Jewish leader about salvation at night. I had a friend who called it Nick at Night, so I always remember that because of Nickelodeon, Nick at Night. So he's talking to Nicodemus at night about salvation, and Nicodemus is a little confused on what in the world it means to be born again. He's like, I don't, how, how can you be born again, right? It's just kind of like the questions anybody would be asked when you are faced with new material. But if you're familiar with John 3.16, I heard somebody say it this way one time, you should be familiar with what comes before it, but you often aren't. We're going to get to that at the end. Before we get to the passage before John 3:16, just 14 and John 3:14 and 15, I want us to go all the way back. We're going to get our time machines. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Numbers. Okay? Numbers chapter 21. And the reason that we're going to go to Numbers chapter 21 is because it's important for understanding John chapter 3. You may not have known that. So Numbers 21 helps us understand John chapter 3. Now, where are we? I was talking with uh, Derek and as, as, uh, as we were finishing up band practice, we, I was doing nothing, as they were finishing up band practice. And you get in numbers, right? We heard 13 and 14 last week where they're cursed and the, kind of the punishment for their disobedience is this generation cannot enter into the land that I have promised them. That's a pretty harsh punishment. And then essentially we zoom through 40 years of history. Like there's not a lot of the 40 years that you're gonna get in the book of numbers. You get, it's like, and you get right there toward the end. So then Numbers ends, and 40 years are basically done. Deuteronomy starts, and there's just some speeches to the new generation. That's Deuteronomy. The new generation is now hearing uh, the law and what God has promised, and they're making commitments to the Lord as they're about to enter the land. That's what Deuteronomy does. It's kind of a second telling of the law to the nation, but to the new generation. So in Numbers 21, we're getting pretty close to the end of the 40 years. You don't know that because we were just in Numbers 14 last, last week. So just seven chapters later, we've kind of hurtled through several decades of the history of Israel as they're wandering. We learned that word circuitous, right? Just kind of going around and around and around and around and around, not getting into the land, but being very close to it. And so I want to read one portion of Numbers 21. It'll be Numbers 21, 4 through 9. It's also kind of a breather because we were going through like chapters at a time. So now we get to slow down, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Let's hear this passage. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go round the land of Edom, which is kind of going south to go north. And the people became impatient on the way. 
The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Have we heard this before? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food which you're giving to us every single day by your own hand. But anyways, okay, so they're mad at the Lord for the food he's giving them now. So then, just, <laughs> then the Lord sent fiery serpents, snakes among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses, they said, we've sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Just that's it. It's just that simple. So that's our passage. It's kind of weird. I mean, I think it's fair to say like fiery serpents just kind of get sent down into the wilderness and then they just start biting people, right? But that's what we have. So we're going to deal with that and we're going to look at how this illustration, Numbers 21, is going to give us context for what Jesus says in John chapter 3. That comes at the end. So first... As we just kind of go through this, we're just going to, go, going to kind of go through this bit by bit. So we're going to look at the first two verses and we're going to hear this. Our exhaustion is no excuse, never an excuse for our sin. I think sometimes we kind of grumble like, I didn't get any sleep or I didn't get to do this or I didn't get to do that. And we feel as if like we're entitled to be grumpy. We're entitled to be bugged. So put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite. 40 years wandering around, just loops Time and time again, sometimes you're camped out and you stay there for months, weeks, years, however long, you're staying in a certain spot and then God's like, let's go. And you kind of go and you set up camp and you're, now you're somewhere else. And you walked for a couple of days and now you're staying there and you've, you feel like you've made no progress because really you haven't. Year after year after year, up to 40 years. So look at the first two verses. From Mount Hor, they set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom because they weren't allowed to go through, so they have to go around the land and like they, they want to be north, but to get there they have to go this way to get up to it. So they're going, Whoop. well that'd be a little bug. Anybody ever taken a detour like that? Yeah. And so the people spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die? There's no food, there's no water. We loathe this worthless food, right? So it's like, do not enter, do not go, can't go this way, can't go that way. And so they're rerouted. And if you're an Israelite, you're just going, again, again? Why in the world do you keep bringing us through this? We can't make it through. I'm so tired of it. I mean, if I'm on a vacation and I'm just driving somewhere and I exit at the wrong time, ooh, I'm livid. Like, how in the world, right? Or, you know, don't want to make any marriages uh, suffer bad consequences at lunch or wherever else, but right, like one of the spouses is navigating, we'll just say that. One of the spouses, depending on who's driving, is navigating, and they might not, you know, like, oh, you should have exited there, and you miss it. I know we all have our phones, and they tell us, yeah, I know, I'm sorry, I love you guys, I don't want to cause fights. But then, like, if you miss one exit, you're like, oh my gosh, 
could you please just look at what the route says? Like it gives you your turn, even now with phone, just like in two miles, in one and a half miles, in one mile, in three quarters of a mile, in half a mile, in one quarter of a mile, in one third of a mile, whatever it is. I went up and down, sorry. Uh, 0.3 miles. That's still too much. Um, and so back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And now try that for 40 years. You might think that after you've just done that for 40 years, you have earned a little bit of leeway to be bugged. But you don't. Because your circumstance, whatever you're in, whatever's going on, yeah, you might be exhausted, you might be frustrated, you might be annoyed. It is never then, the Lord is never like, well then here is your reason that you can sin and it's okay now. But we always try to justify our grouchiness. And it's always someone else's fault. Right? It's your friend, it's your family, it's your pastor, it's your church, it's your situation, it's your job, it's that you didn't get enough sleep, it's something you ate, it's, the, it's, your, it's your budget, whatever else. We're always trying to blame shift so that we can feel good about being sinful. And so there we go again, the same complaint time and time again that Israel has brought up, which is like, why did you bring us out here to die? This is the worst. We want to be back in Egypt. They're still saying this. They're still saying toward the end of their wandering, we just wish we were back in Egypt. Life was so much better there. It was just so much easier there. They're exhausted. But remember this, exhaustion is no excuse for sin. I would just, just as by way of caution for you and for me, is that we have to guard our hearts and be aware of what we might be experiencing at any given time and realize that we will often try to justify our sin based upon how we feel and there's never an appropriate justification for our sin. It's always sin. It's not like, you know, good sin and bad sin, it's just sin. And so we have to watch out because you're gonna get tired, you're gonna be on a route, you're gonna be frustrated, something's gonna happen, and you're gonna wanna lash out, be angry, never an excuse. There's never an excuse. Now, secondly, sin, all sin, this one is immediate, but all sin is punished by death or with death. You look at the next two verses. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. That doesn't seem good. And the people who came to Moses said, we've sinned, we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take the serpents away from us. I think of like Indiana Jones, like why did it have to be snakes? Like I don't, snakes are weird, right? Who likes a snake? Like they're not cool. And so I, I go, could you have sent something less terrifying to me? But here comes like all of these snakes just slithering down. You're all gonna have dreams about snakes now. You're welcome. And so they're coming down, and what happens? A bite, you die. You're on your way. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like uh, too many nature shows or something like that, but just snakes spook me. So... There they are, grumbling, frustrated, angry with the Lord, and the Lord's like, again, he brings punishment. Now, you might go, and I think I, 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 think I, you know, I, I can understand why you might say this, but you might go, that just seems like a really harsh consequence for being bugged. Like, you're annoyed, and so you're going to get bitten by a snake and die? I mean, come on. Like, I get like, hey, you're grounded for a week, don't say anything, don't come out of your room, but... Here are some snakes, they're gonna bite you, you're gonna die. That seems like a pretty significant consequence. 
Well, first, I want us to remember uh, in the New Testament something that a uh, verse that many of us are familiar with, but you may not be, which is uh, Romans 6.23, and, and, and you might be able to repeat it here, like the, the wages of sin is what? Death, right? So the payment, in a sense like, the, you know, in an exchange, you work, you get a job, you, you get a paycheck. You sin, you get death. That's, your, that's the exchange that you make for yours and my disobedience. Now, this is the part we have to realize, is that you may think that your sin doesn't cause you to die because you don't feel it, but it does. There's one thing that I know is true, should the Lord not return, all of you die. Like, that's the only thing that I know for sure is going to happen, other than the fact that all of you are sitting in this room right now. Like, there's two things I know. You're sitting in this room, and you will die. So, good morning. Like, it feels good, doesn't it? But because so often for us, death feels like something that is out there. It's, it, it's coming, but we're, we're so far away from it. You know, most people we know die in their old age. They might be uh, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s. It's so far away. Well, I had, I had a spouse die in their, or not spouse, uh, my mom died in her 60s. That's why I was thinking about it. Um, and so like, we go, whoa, that's, that's just so far from now. You can't really fathom immediate death because we always just go to the future. But the thing you have to realize is this, whenever it comes, it's a consequence of sin. If it comes at a good old age, as the Old Testament would speak, or it comes at 22, or it comes because of the immediate repercussions of a decision that you make, like an overdose, death is always the consequence for sin. And so we have to kind of get out of our minds this idea that our sin doesn't affect us or doesn't affect others. It always does. It's just sometimes it feels like it's time release. One of my favorite songwriters calls, uh, he, he uses this phrase, time release suicide. It's kind of how it feels, right? Like our sin is essentially it's leading us to our death. Why? Because God has created us to be in perfect relationship with him. And we broke that. Genesis chapter 3, we messed that thing up. And so because we messed that thing up, whenever it comes, it comes as a result of what we've done. Now, I say that, all sin punished with death, just to say this, we need to take our sin seriously. We feel sometimes so good that we got away with something. Oh, no one knows. Right? No one knows that this happened. No one knows I thought that. No one knows that I did that. And we might be able to go years like that. And the longer we go, the more dull we might feel about it. But you know, honestly, we need to take seriously our sin and the consequences of our sin in the same way here we see Israel where they're like, they realize it. Man, we messed up. And they're feeling it. It always gets a little more urgent, doesn't it, when you know you're about to die. When you know you're about to die. But when you don't know you're about to die, or you don't think you're about to die, you go, I have time. I have time. And you might be thinking about like the kind of person you want to be. Oh, I'll get serious about God later. I kind of want to live for a few more years, do some things, make some money, have some fun, and then, then after that, I'm going to get serious about it. Well, you see what happens when you realize the immediate consequence of your sin? You see what Israel does? shoot, Moses, hey, listen, we did something real bad. 
and we're going to die now, can we fix it? Can you do something here? We have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned against you. Can this get fixed? So we need to take our sins seriously, and we need to realize that really, death is immediate. It's immediate. It doesn't feel immediate because we've been lulled to sleep by how the world generally works. But it is something that all of us have to reckon with. That's the, that's the second thing. Third is this, and this is the great thing about God. God, said this, uh, said this recently, a couple Sundays ago, God always provides the way to find forgiveness. He's always providing the way to find forgiveness. Every single time from the beginning of us screwing it up into now. He is providing the way to find forgiveness. So what does he do here in this story? The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's kind of nice. Right? There weren't a ton of hurdles there, were they? Except all the other people you feel like you have to get over to see the serpent. But I mean, put yourself in the shoes of, again, the Israelite. This is what I have to do? To not die today? Well, I'm going to do it. And you will do whatever you need to do to look at the serpent. Whatever you need to do. I can't imagine, maybe there was one, but I can't imagine one person who was bitten and was like, let's just keep it. You know what, like, it's been a fun run here in the wilderness, let's just keep it. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna go see the snake. I'm not gonna do it, I'm fine. Anyone in their right mind is going, you mean I can get some relief for what I am feeling for what I am experiencing by looking at a snake, I'm gonna look. And you see that passage, anybody who looks at it would be healed. Anybody who just looks at it is healed. Man, it feels almost, doesn't it almost feel too good to be true if you're in the shoes of the Israelite? That's all I have to do? Like there's no like, you know, there's no time to burn a sacrifice here. There's nothing. You have to do it now. And they look and they are healed. Now, I want to do, this is a footnote point, but it comes across as like one of the others, but it's a footnote point. Because there's something happening later, noticeably later, in the history of Israel. And I want to just point out one thing that we like to do as humans. I'm going to say this, say it like this, human hearts make idols of good things, right? We take a good thing and we flip it into something to worship. It was never intended to be worshiped, but that's what we do. So there's a good king, if you get into the story of the kings, there's good kings and there's bad kings, kings who followed God and kings who didn't. And I want to just highlight one verse of what one good king, Hezekiah, did in his reforms. It's buried in 2 Kings, and many of us probably haven't even read this or been able to make the connection, but look at this. 
What did Hezekiah do? 2 Kings 18.4. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until these days the people of Israel made offerings to it. Right? Isn't that crazy? There in Hezekiah, I mean, the, the generation that experienced that is gone. Long gone. And what has happened? Since the time that people were saved by looking at the serpent, they have kept it and they have made offerings to it because that for them became their salvation, the snake, not the Lord. Can you imagine that? That's what we do. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that Moses did, built the snake, they look at it, they're saved, but then what starts to happen? Like, man, I really, I really think it's in the serpent itself that we can find the power. And so though buried in 2 Kings 18, what do we find? But what idolatrous people do with good things. We worship them. They become our gods. They become the way that we try and find life and meaning and value. And you know it. You know that Israelites were going there and just going, if I just look at it, if I just look at it. Right, it was made for a purpose. But they go, if I just look at it right now, then if I just look at it, I'm good. It's what we do time and time and time again is that we take good things and then we make them idols. It's, it's a good thing to have a family. That's good. It's a good thing. God uses that. Man, it is a bad thing to make that the center of your universe. It is a good thing to work and to earn money. It is a bad thing to then set that up as the most important thing in your life. It is a good thing to come here together and worship God and remember our need for him and the work that he has done for us and the sending of his son. It is a good thing to remember that. It is a bad thing to think that by showing up here, God is somehow extra pleased with us. I have to do that because I need God to smile on me more. He can smile on you no more than he does in his son. It's not extra smiling that you get. You don't level up in him, right? In us is everything, the fullness of God, the entire spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is within us. If you're eight or if you're 88, same spirit, same power, same salvation. People go, all right, if I just show up, man, if I just show up, it's like God's gonna like me more, he's gonna love me more, he's gonna care about me more. No, we take good things and we twist them into things that are, become our own gods. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to John. The verse we're familiar with, John 3.16, we're gonna go before it and see, our, see this. Jesus is the true one who is lifted up. We might know John 3.16. I want us to look at John 3.14 and 15 as he is talking about it. And one of the problems, you know, if you're looking in your Bibles, they, you know, some other people came in and they gave you categories. And so John 3:16 is right here. And so you might start there where the paragraph begins, but you, you miss something if you don't look at, chapter, at verse 14. So look at verse 14 as he's talking to Nicodemus, a Jew who should know the illustration that he's about to use. He says this, and as Moses 
lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, Numbers 21, lift up the serpent. Look at it, you will find relief. You will find forgiveness. Then, centuries later, here comes Jesus. Century later, centuries, not millennia. Centuries later, here comes Jesus. And he's speaking with Nicodemus, and he goes, hey, just like that happened, I must be lifted up. And whoever believes in me may have eternal life. Now, the word that some use with this, and I, I, I associate with this, is, is scandalous. It doesn't seem fair. And here's what I mean. Are you telling me that all I have to do is look to Jesus and believe and I'm forgiven? Is, is it really so simple that all I have to do is look to Jesus and I'm forgiven? My answer for you is yes. Yes. Because all you do and all I do is screw stuff up. If there was anything else that you had to do, if there was any other work that you had to do, you would mess that up. If you had to, you know, I was like, well, just jump on your, you know, jump on your foot three times and then look at Jesus and you'll be good, right? You'll fall over. You'll go, well, if I do three is good, what about six? What about nine? What about 12? What about 15? What about 18, right? I see how high I can go in threes. You will always take some kind of grace and try and flip it into a work. Well, how can I earn it? How can I get it? And you can't earn it. Go back to Numbers 21. What did Israel bring to the table? Their grumbling and their impending, looming death. What did God bring to the table? The way to be forgiven. Now, with Jesus, what do we bring to the table? Our sin, our disobedience, our complete lack of ability to measure up to anything, even our own expectations of ourselves. We don't measure up to that. Anyway, we think we're going to measure up to the Lord? No. And that's a hard thing for us to, to get with. Why? I think the longer you, I'll say it like this. The longer that you walk with the Lord, so you've looked to him, you have your salvation, right? And then you grow in him. And you realize there's still sins and habits and things in your life that you want to get rid of, that you want to reject, and, 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 and things that you love that you've suddenly stopped loving as much. And so, you know, kind of the, the Asian words we use, right? Justification, that God makes us right once and for all. Sanctification, that we walk with him and we become more conformed in this life to the image of Jesus. But what happens if we don't delight and enjoy the fact that God saved us? and that doesn't stay a constant part of how we live, then all of a sudden we start to look down the road and we go, well, look what I did to get here. Look at the work that I was able to do. Look at what I was able to repent of. Look at what I was able to change. Look at what I was able to do. And we start to take great pride in ourselves so the person who just gets to enjoy the fact that they are saved somehow becomes less than us because they go, oh, well, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out soon enough that it's really hard. 
walking with the Lord. I go, yeah, walking with the Lord's hard because of your flesh, not because of the Lord. It's not that he, he doesn't make it hard. When Jesus goes, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not joking. <laughs> just, just you wait till you start walking with me, then you'll realize that it's real hard. The reason it's hard is because of us. The reason that even salvation can become a hard thing to grasp is because you love the fact that you've done some, what you think are good things. That you've done some things right. You feel like you're a good friend, a good mom, a good dad, a good coworker, that you've, you've been all right. And so to then have to say, you know what, I'm not all right. In the same way that Israel had the immediacy of their sin and their disobedience brought before them with the snake bite, I have the same thing. Time release, that's all it is. I need to look to the Lord. And the thing is, is that when you look to the Lord, you are essentially surrendering any power and control and ability you had to make your life right. And you are attaching it all to him. That's why Jesus says, he says, just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so also I must be lifted up, that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now you see how the pieces fit together. It's not just this, this verse kind of stuck in there out of nowhere. But it's always what God has been doing. God has always been saving. And the way that we find life is through Jesus. Is it really so simple? Yes. And you know what's funny is I want to say no because I want to make, you know, make it hard for you to believe in him sometimes. Like Pharisees, right? It's what we do. I want to make it hard, more difficult. I want to see, you know, you need to lash yourself a few times. Feel really bad. I don't think you feel bad enough about your sin. Like there's no rule there on how bad you should feel. Are you as bad as me, as bad as him, as bad as her, as bad as your kids. Like there's, there's nothing there that goes, you need to feel like, right, a bajillion times bad. I feel worse for sins now than I ever did when I put my faith in Jesus the first time. Because my understanding of my own sinfulness was so small then. I love, if you've ever done the gospel-centered life study, it has this great kind of diagram, like the, the, it's essentially that, that as your view, you walk with the Lord, as your view of God's holiness grows, and your view of your own sinfulness increases, right? They kind of go in opposite directions. You realize how bad you are. You're not worse than you were then. You just realize it more. As that goes and continues, what happens? Your view of the gospel gets bigger. Every single time it gets bigger because you realize there's no way. There's no way. Our walking with the Lord should only make us more humble, not more arrogant. We should only be more grateful for our salvation, our justification, because we realize more of the worst of us. And the longer you live, the more wreckage we seem to bring, right? More people to offend, more relationships to harm, more stupid things that we say out of the side of our mouth, like time and time again, right? So you come to faith at eight and your view of your sinfulness is here. At 28, it's here, at 38, 48, and it just keeps going, but what happens? is that as we see that and we see the work of Jesus, our gratitude grows. Our love for him increases because the work he did for us was so significant.
two things come to mind for me and for us. And the first is this, is that perhaps we feel, as we've said before, we have this kind of gospel where God saves me, but I keep me. And we have started to live our lives and God's approval of our lives based upon how we act versus how he acted in his son. And we base God's love for us or gladness for us or something like that based on our activities and not his activity. If that is us, the great thing is this. You just confess it and you keep walking. And you, you just keep walking with him. And you go, man, I was like, you might have to relearn, unlearn some things, some habits, some thoughts, some ways you speak. You might need to ask forgiveness of some people. That's all fine. But it doesn't change your standing with him. You just got foolish for a while. So if that has become us, we just go to him and confess. And we delight again in the fact that Jesus has saved us. And that all we have to do is look. I'm not talking about the ongoing walk with him. How we walk in accountability, openness, honesty with one another. Because that's still hard. And the continual bringing. Our, we love to hide the bringing of our sinfulness. And discussing with other brothers and sisters what's going on. And having them pray for us and care for us. That's all a part of walking with the Lord. But in regard to just enjoying the fact that God did the work for our salvation. You just look. So that's the first for us who are following him. Secondly, though, for us in this room, those in this room who have a different view of what it means to be saved than to believe in the work of Jesus, I say to you, just believe in the work of Jesus. It is all that we can do to be saved. No one here who is walking with the Lord did anything. Did anything. It doesn't matter what status you have. It doesn't matter what role you play. If you're a community group leader, an elder, a deacon, a member, whatever else, like we all have the same story, which was all I brought to the table was wickedness. The Lord brought to the table Jesus. And only because of him am I alive. There's no other story believe in him. Now the beautiful thing that I see is that even in Numbers 21, even in Numbers 21, the Lord knew of John 3. He knew that was coming. He knew that conversation with Nicodemus was going to happen. He wasn't surprised by it. And so even then, I just delight myself in the fact that God knows and he is working things to the good, right? This is one of my memory verses a month or so ago, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That God was working even, think about this eternally, God was working even in Numbers 21 in a way no one had any clue he was working so that Nicodemus could better understand the work of Jesus. Even in Numbers 21, he knew that was gonna be used to help explain the work of Jesus to Nicodemus who was trying to understand how in the world you're born again. God is bigger 
He is greater, he is more powerful, he is more thoughtful, he is more loving, he is more generous, he is more gracious. Decade after decade after decade after decade of wandering around in the wilderness, being bugged, being annoyed, and what is he doing? But still, still redeeming, still caring, still relieving the burdens of their own sinfulness. And he does the same with us in his son. We look to Jesus and we're free. And we're relieved. It's glorious. I wanted to pick that because we don't make those connections. I know it's out of the reading plan, but we don't don't often see. What was going on there? What was God doing in Numbers 21 that made John 3 make sense? He was saving his people. And as we saw in 2 Kings 18, do not make an idol out of a good thing. Always remember the work of the Lord on your behalf. Look to him, the author and perfecter of your salvation, of your faith. Pray with me. Father, we can trust in you. And we can be forgiven because of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. All we bring is unrighteousness, is sin, is disobedience. And you bring to us your grace. Father, we know in our own hearts we are always trying to make idols out of good things. So might you keep us far from idolatry in this and might we just enjoy Jesus. For Lord, you know more. You are greater, more powerful. You are better in every way. So God, continue to keep us close to you. We might trust you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.